Lord, we uh, pour out our praise to you for your grace, for your goodness, for your power. God, the very breath in our lungs is from you. The beating of our heart, God, is a gift from you. Today we come, God, to give those hearts to you, to surrender our lives to you, to be taught from you. And in that, we have great praise and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Morning, everyone. So um, I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, the identity of our current generation, the identity of our current generation, you know, because the, the 60s, you know, they were kind of known as the generation of peace and love, right? You know, the age of Aquarius. And uh, <laughs> the 80s were the me generation, all about me and myself. And uh, I kind of think that the current generation is kind of like the unreal reality generation. You know, so you have all these reality TV shows, although I'm not sure exactly how much reality there is in any of them. I mean, I don't know about you, but most people don't get to dance with stars, right? And uh, they don't have, you know, a master chef criticizing them while they make a quiche. You know, I, I've, I've never met a guy who had, you know, 20 women chasing after him for a rose. And uh, none of my friends have a billionaire shark, you know, ready to give them money to make candles that smell like bacon. You know, it's just not a whole lot of reality in reality TV. See, when I grew up, I grew up in the age of game shows, right? You remember those? The Price is Right and $100,000 Pyramid and Jeopardy. And my all-time favorite was Let's Make a Deal, right? (laughs) Our old buddy Monty Hall would stand up there, you know, it kind of looked like this right here, this picture, if you remember. <laughs> so Monty Hall would be standing right next to Goldilocks, and on the stage in front of them, there would be three curtains, right? And Monty would say, okay, choose a curtain. You get what's behind the curtain. So Goldilocks would be like, ha, ah. You know, and she'd kind of pick curtain number one, number two, and number three. And you never knew what was going to be behind those curtains. You know, it could be a brand new Buick Skylark or it could be, you know, the real zapper where they'd open the curtain up and there'd be like a dairy goat with a bell around its neck and just standing there. Now, I have no idea why I liked these shows so much, but uh, I do think that that particular one has a lot to do with what we're talking about today. You see, and this is why. The Apostle Paul, in the passage we're going to look today, you know, he's trying to show the Galatians that they think they've won the big prize. They think that they've won acceptance by God through their works and good deeds. I mean, after all, they obeyed all the rules, they'd done all the rituals, but little did they know that they had been deceived. You see, the legalists and the Judaizers had sold them legalism, and legalism is not the gospel. So Paul is sounding the alarm. He wants the Galatians to not leave their freedom in Christ and to be bound again into slavery. Because legalism, it undermines our joy and our growth and our freedom in Christ. And so we need to identify it because it's so lethal and so subtle. And then we need to be able to avoid it. And we need to help others avoid it as well. So let's get started. Um, Take a look in your program there. There's some message notes. I want to encourage you to take those out along with your connection card. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow the verses up here on the screen. So Paul's beginning, he's talking about how the dangers of legalism, 
And he says this, this is your first point on the outline. He says, legalism lures us into bondage and idolatry. Bondage and idolatry. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I think it's just true in life that we're all designed to worship something. All designed. It's hardwired into our soul just to give worth and value and honor to something or someone bigger than ourselves. Ultimately, the reason that's true is because we are designed to worship God. And every soul is longing for that connection, for meaning to be reconnected with God. And yet it's funny how you know, quick we are as human beings to turn away and, and find these shadowy um, you know, trinkets, these facades that fulfill what only God can fulfill in our life. So Paul warns us you know, that whatever we worship, we tend to get enslaved to. And he says it's dangerous. This is what he says in Galatians 4, 8 to 11. Paul says, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. See, at this time in the Roman Empire, the religious landscape, it was just full of all kinds of crazy religious expressions. The people of that day had literally hundreds of gods that they believed in who oversaw the workings of mankind. And these gods were viewed as sort of this controlling force of all of life and nature and that they needed to be appeased so that you could live peaceably in the world. And so the people were always viewing themselves as being subject to and controlled by all of these spiritual forces. And so, for instance, if you were a farmer, say, and you wanted to grow your crops, you needed rain, well, what you'd do is you'd bring a sacrifice or do some spiritual ritual to appease the god Dionysus in order to get rain. If you were headed out on a voyage on the sea, you would need to appease the god Poseidon to ensure a safe passage. If you were heading through the forest, you would bring a sacrifice to the god Pan, or he just might sick Tinkerbell on you. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> and if you're expecting a child, you would perform a sacrifice to appease the, guard, the god Artemis. See, so in all these things, you'd be constantly bound in this fear and paranoia all around you, trying to, to adopt and gain favor and appease these gods around you in order just to survive and succeed in life. And Paul's telling them, reminding them, this is the life that you had before Christ. So why in the world would you want to go back to that? He was reminding them not only that, but that those we, though these were not really true gods at all, but yet there's still a spiritual power behind them. You see, he refers to them as the spiritual principles of the world, and that may sound familiar to you from this passage in Ephesians 6.10, where Paul says this, For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, what Paul's saying, he's making clearer that false worship is inspired by and empowered by demonic forces. And I think that most of us would, you know, buy this, you know, had we gone into one of these pagan temples of that day, 
you know, walked in and saw what really happened there, the temple prostitution and the self-mutilation and sacrifice, sometimes even human sacrifice, we'd have walked out of that temple and just said, whoa, yeah, that, that's demonic. But I want you to fo- focus really carefully on what Paul says here next, because I think it's important and it, rely- it relates to us. You know, he says that the Galatians were trading one form of idolatry and pagan worship for another. He says that by trying to earn God's favor by observing, you know, the days, the festivals, the ceremonies of the Mosaic Law, you know, good things, good old time religion, like the Passover and Sabbath and Pentecost, by doing these things to get right with God, that this was the same thing. It also was idolatry and demonic. And he's saying that the religious person is just as enslaved and separated from God as the pagan. And the reason is that they're both trying to be their own savior, to be their own God. They're just doing it in different ways. And so that means, literally, that we could be sitting in a seat right here today, and by thinking that our church attendance or religious practices that we do to earn salvation... That what we're really doing is not worshiping God at all, but we're kind of going through the motions. We're doing things to try to get things from God. We're attempting to manipulate God for what we want. Ultimately, we're worshiping ourselves, And that is very dangerous. And the only way to avoid this deception is to trust in nothing else except for the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There is no other hope. There is nothing else that we can trust in, that we can be measured by, that we can cling to, just Jesus Christ alone. Paul wants it to make it very clear that salvation, our justification, our being made right with God has nothing to do with us and only to do with Jesus alone. So our next point here is that legalism smothers our joy and generosity. It smothers our joy and generosity. Now, as we've been in this series, the first three chapters, we've noticed, you know, Paul's almost like a lawyer. I mean, he's coming at the Galatians with his case against them. Sometimes he calls them foolish. He calls them bewitched. Then it's very interesting. Now he changes his tone and all of a sudden he begins to call them his brothers and his sisters. And soon we'll see, he even calls them his little children. And you can see Paul's just pleading with them reaching for their heart because legalism has poisoned their hearts. It's smothered their joy and it's broken their relationship between them. He says this in verses 12 to 15. Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought the good news to you. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself. Where's that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. See, when we have an authentic encounter with God's grace, it produces joy. It's a fruit 
of that. It's a fruit of the Spirit, joy. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Grace brings joy to the heart. Now, legalism, it kills joy. You see, when we're working for our salvation, we expect to get paid, right? We come to God with sort of these expectations and demands. You know, our soul becomes ungrateful and bitter, and our love begins to grow cold toward God and others as well. And Paul wants to remind the Galatians back to that first time when they first met. He was on his first missionary journey, and Paul was seriously ill. You know, many people, as they study this, they speculate that Paul may have contracted malaria when he was in the lower areas of Pamphylia, below Galatia. It was a very swampy area, and that he went up to Galatia to recover, you know, where it was a drier area. He hadn't planned to be there at all, but his illness had taken him there. And so he was very sick. And even though he was under great stress and personal discomfort, Paul never relented from bringing the gospel to these Galatians. He mentioned in in the passage, you notice, that his illness could have been a reason for them to reject him. And again, um, some say that malaria could have affected his eyesight. Because when malaria attacks your optic nerve, first it diminishes the ability to see color. And then it begins to cause atrophy of the eyes and can cause blindness as well. And if you think about it, back in the day when they didn't have modern medicine or sterile bandages, it was very easy for his eyes to become infected whether it were pus and maybe even a foul odor from that. I mean, Paul was in great distress, and yet the Galatians had welcomed him with open arms. Paul says that they received him almost like he was an angel from God, a messenger from God, almost like Jesus himself. Their joy was so great, and their love for him was so strong. He says, if you could have, you just pulled your eyes out and given them to me. And yet from there, the acid of legalism... And the demonic influence of the Judaizers had eroded all of that connection, all of that love, all of that joy, and soured it into judgment and rejection. Legalism can be so selfish and so self-promoting. It's kind of like the, the, the two boys at the breakfast table. Mom was cooking breakfast for her two sons, five-year-old Kevin and three-year-old Ryan, and The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. So mom thought, oh, here's a teachable moment. So she said to the boys, you know, if Jesus were sitting here, he'd say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. So Kevin turns to his younger brother, Ryan. He says, Ryan, you be Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about all that Paul had done, all he'd gone through. For the Galatians and all that Jesus had done for them. And yet they were so quick to turn away. Well, third, we know that legalism also fosters a critical and judgmental spirit. A critical and judgmental spirit. And this is because when we don't embrace God's undeserved grace, we're unable to extend that grace to others. We can't give what we don't have. And our heart is filled with contempt and with judgment for those that we feel don't deserve it. Paul says that the Galatians were rejecting him and treating him like an enemy. Verses 16 to 18 say, Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They're trying to shut you off from me 
so that you'll pay attention only to them. If someone's eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. See, the goal of these Judaizers, it was to build the Galatians up, to puff them up so that they in turn would be built up. They wanted to bring adoration and dependence upon themselves rather than focusing that attention on Jesus Christ. And what Paul wanted for them, what Paul's desire is that they may, Christ might be formed in them and that their faith might come from the heart and not through rule keeping. Paul warned them of the dangers of this legalism. And now he begins to turn and starts to talk to them and show them how they can grow in their freedom in Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice something about how the focus changes, because I think this is interesting. You see, the, the focus changes from an inward focus to an outward focus. It's the difference between legalism and grace. Legalism tends to be selfish, self-oriented, while grace is preoccupied with the benefit of others. And so our first focal point actually goes from self to focusing on God. And so you'll see that I can grow in grace when I abandon myself to the freedom and acceptance of grace. I abandon myself to the freedom and acceptance of grace. Our key verse for um, our series has been Galatians 5.1. It's, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And I really love the, the idea, the concept of abandoning, my, abandoning myself into freedom. I love that word abandon. And what I picture when I think of just abandonment is the nest tea plunge. Do you remember that? Let's take a look. It's right here. so refreshing. Now, for some of you out there, trusting God and abandoning yourself into Christ, it's just like that. You know, you just, oh, fall back into his arms. Boy, I admire people like you. <laughs> I mean, that's just not me. To be honest, this is, you know, for me, this, what the picture that, that really represents more what goes on inside of me, it's more like this right here. This picture. Yep, that's me right there. <laughs> Kind of on the high, just looking down, wondering what's happening, what's going on next. You know, and this is something I have to work on all the time. You know, just my own personal insecurities. It's hard for me just to kind of let go and let God and trust Him and live in His grace. But God's grace is free and available to all of us. And Paul is pleading with the Galatians to enter into it. So I want to jump back to verse 12 just for a second to help with this point. Remember, it said, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. Paul is pleading with them to enter into freedom, to return to freedom. He'd left the shackles of Judaism, and he wants and the law. And now these Judea, or the, the Galatians are wanting just to return to a life of slavery. Paul says, don't do it. Be like me. Be free. Now, honestly, I can't think of anybody who was more free than the Apostle Paul. I mean, think about it. His faith and confidence in God made him so incredibly free and invincible from the ties of this world. 
He says this in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. He says, I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I really love what Pastor uh, Matt Chandler says about Paul here, because Paul abandoned himself completely to Christ. This is what he says. He says, you couldn't touch him. (laughs) If you threatened to kill him, to die is gain. If you left him alone to live as Christ, if you wanted to beat him up to get him to stop talking, he wouldn't count the present sufferings of this world as worthy to be compared with the future glory. If you put Paul in a dungeon, he'd sing hymns and convert all your guards. He was literally a man who you couldn't touch. He was entirely free, and Paul wanted that for the Galatians. More than anything, he wanted them to live in the power and freedom of grace that came through Jesus Christ. John Stott says this. He says, all Christians should be able to say something like this, especially to unbelievers, namely that we're so satisfied with Jesus Christ, with his freedom and joy and salvation, that we want other people to become like us. Isn't that beautiful? Now, this emphasis and focus shifts from God to one another and focuses on loving and, and, and blessing others. And so the next point is I express selfless love by investing in others, by investing in others, investing in others. Selfless love is focused on investing on what's best for someone else, even when they don't even recognize what's good for them. You know, Paul described the pain of his desperation to bring the truth to the Galatians as being like labor pains. I mean, this guy's in pain so that they would be formed in Christ mature in their faith, and grounded in their relationship with Jesus. Verse 19, he says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Paul's using this analogy of being like their mama. <laughs> you know, like he spiritually you know, nursed them in their new life in Christ, and he felt like he was back in labor all over again, like he was giving birth to them all over and delivering the same baby twice. That doesn't sound like much fun, does it? <laughs> so Paul was so deeply, deeply committed to anchoring them in Jesus. And this was, you know, this selfless investment was something that, that was his life goal for all of the people in all of his churches. You know, he said this in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This is what he was about. So we tell others about Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. You know, Paul not only made personal investments in the people in his churches, but he also instructed the whole body of Christ, everyone to be investing in each other's faith to build up the body. You know, in the second chapter of Titus, Paul instructs older women to instruct the younger women in the ways that they can love their husbands and children. In 2 Timothy, Paul instructs the men to teach other men in the faith. And then in the second chapter of Thessalonians, he encourages believers not just to share the gospel, but to share their very lives. 
investing in others, and especially the younger generations, is so important to them and also to the kingdom of God. It's so important that older generations be present in the lives of younger learners. It's so important. You know, there was a situation that uh, happened several years ago in uh, one of the South Africa's natural parks. It was the Kruger Park. And what had happened is that there was an overpopulation of elephants, and it became actually dangerous to the health of all the animals. And so the government authorized that the adult um, elephants would be killed, and the children, the, the younger elephants, would be transferred to other parks. Um, but what they didn't realize was going to happen is these young orphaned male elephants no longer had any adult role models in their lives to show them proper behavior. So when they became teenagers and their testosterone began to spike, these young elephants became very aggressive. In fact, in one of the parks, they, these elephants savagely killed 36 rhinos. In fact, one of the park rangers saw as an elephant bowled over one of the rhinos, trampled him, and then speared him in, in the chest with his, with his tusks. It was brutal. It was out of control. And so the rangers uh, reintroduced six adult bull males into the park. And almost immediately, these teen elephants began to calm down and began to model the proper behavior of the adult elephants, and they no longer were killing the rhinos. So I remember um, years ago when Terry and I, my wife, were first married, we lived in this condo complex. And uh, there was a group of teenagers running amok. <laughs> I mean, these kids were horrible. They were taking rocks and they were bashing in all the lampposts. There was glass everywhere. They were carving curse words into people's screen doors. They were taunting some of the older neighbors. They were lighting firecrackers at night. And people literally were scared to death. They were hiding behind their doors, closing their doors, and, and just hiding from all these, these crazy gang of teenagers. So Terry and I, we were young and foolish. <laughs> we would just walk out there. And, and when the kids were out, we would start talking to them. And uh, when they started to misbehave, you know, I'd just walk right up to them, tell them to knock it off. And so one day, the kids just kind of jumped me and knocked me out. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they started to calm down. They started to calm down. And so, friends, you know, honestly, there's an entire generation of kids out there who really need a stabilizing force in their life. They want and need the spiritual investment that you can offer them so that they can help combat the cultural tide that's against them. All right. Another point is I extend compassion and care. Compassion and care. I don't know if you noticed, but it seems like you know, we're, we're changing the definition of terms these days. And to be compassionate and caring today, well, that means that you allow, accept, and embrace whatever someone might choose to do, whatever decisions they make for themselves, even if it's destructive for themselves or for others. You know, it's almost like everyone feels that they have no right to speak to anybody about anything for fear of being labeled a hater or being judgmental. You know, Paul here was being rejected. He had every right just to kind of back off and let it go, but he refused to withhold the truth because he knew that the truth was the only thing and the exact thing that they needed. 
Galatians 4.20, you can see his angst here. He says, I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. True compassion and care come through truth in love. We can't truly love unless we love in truth. And only the truth has the power to change people's lives. It's not compassionate at all to withhold the truth in order to avoid someone becoming upset or angry or rejecting you. You know, the truth spoken with love and compassion, it has the greatest chance of penetrating the heart and delivering the soul. Cowering back just produces a generation of cowards. Ephesians 4.15, Paul says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Grace without the truth does not help and heal. In the same way, truth without grace does not help as well. We need both truth and grace. And sometimes, yes, the truth does sting, right? I mean, we don't like to be confronted with our sin and idolatry, our weaknesses. It's like when we have a mirror in front of our face, we don't always like what we see, right? But we have to keep in mind that when the truth of God's word, when it reveals the ugliness in us, when it reveals our sin, that immediately it's followed by the grace and forgiveness of God to heal us. The truth reveals the cancer so that we can be healed through repentance and restoration. And that results in joy and peace. And so today, you know, if... If God's word has revealed to you that you began to drift into legalism, then the first thing, honestly, that you need to do is to admit your guilt and your self-reliance, that you've been trying to please God on your own. You've been following God in your own strength. You've been feeding your own pride. Admit that. Own it. Embrace it. And then repent of it. Turn from it and trust and cling to and rely on Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change you from the inside out. And all those outside things will take care of themselves. See, God is not impressed by all your outward behavior. What he's interested in is your heart. He wants to change your heart because he knows that when he changes your heart, that that will change everything else about you. Let's pray. Lord God, we're just uh, so grateful for your grace. It's so easy for legalism to creep in, you know, when we feel ourselves becoming jaded, distant from you, judgmental, bitter, trapped. It's so nice to be reminded that we can abandon ourselves into your arms again by grace. We can release that, give it to you, confess our sin. You're faithful and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. We depend on you, God. God, for those of us in this audience, perhaps we don't truly know you, but we want to know you. And God, we just recognize who you are. We confess that we can't make it on our own. It's become apparent, God, that 
We're just stuck. We ask you to forgive us, to cleanse us, to purify us, to make us your own, to give us a new heart with new desires. Change our life, God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.